podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, Edge Rush. With me, Nat, him, Ollie, Propo, a.k.a. Ollie the Producer, a.k.a. Have we got any more nicknames for you? Uh, Propo, Ollie the Producer... Yeah, there's a couple more. What was the one we had, which was the um, the Ferris Bueller's Day Oh, yes. The, the prop king of Chicago. Yeah, the prop king. Yeah, the prop king of... Um, no, it was well, the under king. Under, oh, the under king of Plumpton. The under king of Plumpton. The under king of Plumpton. Yeah, the under king of Plumpton. Yeah, I'll take that. Resident which, um, although, went with an over last week for the lock of the week, and that came off. You turned to me during our TalkSport broadcast and say, thanks for that pick for the over, Ollie. Did and I? I said, don't, don't, don't. Be too quick on this now. Don't be too quick on this now. Yeah, it came through, flew in. We were absolutely yeah, fine. I hadn't clocked it initially, then I realised, of course, I was being entirely facetious and sarcastic, and then it all came flooding, flooding back. But it did come in in the end. You're absolutely right. You called that, and uh, I think you sent me a message saying, "Never in doubt." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is a fair point. Uh, but that came in. Uh, my lock of the week came in as well. Uh, I said that the Jags would uh, capitulate because of all the off the field issues around Urban Meyer. More of that in a bit. But uh, they did. So thank you very much indeed, Jacksonville, for Julia Bright obliging. Our locks of the week came in. Our acker of the week, Cole? Our acker of the week came in, all four of them, actually. We gave people four Ooh. choices that we had picked and we gave, all of them came through. Great. So that is that is another win. All three. I'm, I'm currently 6-0 and in prop bets for the last two weeks. That is why you're the prop king of Plumpton. Yeah, no, it's why? it's been going all basically leading towards a 0-3 week this week. Yes, exactly. Yes. So we're going to crash and burn this week. So let's 100%. get on with it. Too much self-congratulations is definitely a jinx and mm-hmm. we, we'll come back to haunt us and then some. So let's exactly. roll through in week six in the NFL. So we've got three games we're picking our Drew Locks of the week. Uh, we've got an Acker of the week as well, as we always do this time. It's, it's, it's the pressure's on my shoulders. Yeah, I've, 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 I've handed it off to you. I've handed the Acker off to you now. Well, fairly so, because I was remiss last week. I believe actually during the broadcast, I realized we hadn't, uh, put an acker together although that is i would argue technically the job of the the producer <laughs> not and not me but but i will take full uh full responsibility for not being diligent enough even though our, we are on the fly acker came in <laughs> no exactly so maybe we should do it on on the fly every on single fly time well i've got one which will roll out a bit later on and then if you're not not convinced all then you can you can throw an alternative we can maybe even have head-to-head hackers if there's disagreement. I think it's quite a tough week, actually, for Moneyline. I think it's a tough week full stop, and we'll get yeah. into that. I'm not, not entirely happy with anything, including by Drew Locke of the week. So no, a word of warning, listeners, note of caution, buy beware there. But maybe I will be a bit more confident with his picks. Let's start with uh, New England-Dallas. I mean, this is a fascinating game, and there are, there are a lot of fascinating games, which is probably why it's so uh, hard to, uh, to see the wood from the trees. Really, I think you got to key in initially on what kind of offense the Patriots can get going here because there are a few things really confusing me about this Patriots offense. Obviously, they have a cautious approach with Mac Jones in. Mm-hmm. Mac Jones, incidentally, after five games, his completion percentage, 71.1, the best completion by a rookie quarterback um, by a country mile. Second best in terms of historical seasons, Dak Prescott, 67.7 back in 2016. So he is on the money. But part of the reason for that uh, unnerving accuracy is because he's throwing the ball about two yards each time. Right? I mean, it is classic. uh, It's classic Alex Smith, Chad Pennington style. uh, Looks great, but isn't necessarily cutting through uh, and big plays. What, What surprises me about this Pats offensive in particular is how little they're, they're using the tight ends. This was something that we came into the season thinking, well, they're going to be a huge part in this two tight end set. And it will go back to uh, the two tight end set. We saw with the Hernandez Gronk glory days for the Pats, uh, uh, the early part of last decade, but that hasn't been the case at all. Looking at the numbers, there is something that really jumped out to me. Yes. Yeah, so against the Texans in Keel Harry, and Keel Harry oh, ran more routes than Johnny Smith. He ran eight. <laughs> Johnny Smith ran six. They're just, they're just not, certainly in Johnny Smith's case, not using him. So what do you make of this at running game as well? Of course, Damian Harris, who might be out for this, which would be instrumental. Big, big problem there. They've been fumbling the ball left, right and center. Ramondre Stevenson has been put out in the cold. So I don't feel this has got any kind of 
identity. The the cause for optimism, I suppose, is Mac Jones is capable. You know, he's not blowing it. And the line is holding up quite well too. So offense head scratcher. Where are you on the pads? I think it's interesting. I think looking at it, as you've said, they are just very much trying to find their identity as an offense and still looking for it. They've had to rely on the run game significantly and also just this dink and dunk offense. Mac Jones is the only quarterback or the Patriots are the only team without one home run, basically, without Mm. one 40-plus yard pass that has hit. They are very much just going. He's got an average of just five air yards per completion, as you said. Like, it is genuinely, they do not... Ben Roethlisberger's not one of those. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of similar to what happened with Joe Burrow um, last season yeah. for the Bengals. So you could argue potentially that Mac Jones has the capability, but maybe he doesn't necessarily have the pieces to go deep realistically. But at the same time, like I it's think fair, that's a fair point, but I suppose, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, you put it, put it all together, you know, maybe the, the identity is very clear, pretty decent protection, leave with the ground game, um, keep it simple for Mac Jones. But, but then I don't see why they're not utilizing the, the two tight end sets more. Uh, is Johnny Smith banged up? Uh, and the the ground game is is a problem because um, it's, there seems to be a lot of buzz that Stevenson's going to come out from the cold though, right? Particularly, he's going to have to, mm-hmm. I guess, if if Harris is it doesn't doesn't start. No, I definitely think that will probably be the case. And I think looking at it, the Patriots' offense hasn't been rolling for a while now. Even when they had Tom Brady at the mm-hmm. helm, what two seasons ago, they were still struggling because of the lack of pieces around them. They've gone and invested heavily on pieces and especially pieces in the passing game this offseason. But obviously the only thing you have to argue, and this kind of carries over to any team sport, which is when you've got this many new additions, it's natural that it's going to take time for everyone to understand the system Mm. and for it to be implemented properly. So you could say there's an argument to say that it'll only get better week in, week out. And when you've got as good a coaching staff as Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, it's quite easy to believe that they will continue to get better as the season goes on. And make the playoffs. Uh, well, <laughs> well, the Nat Coombs Patriots agenda is still very much still very much on. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And this is something that, uh, well, we're going to talk uh, about the Chiefs a bit later on. It's a point that uh, is important to keep reminding all these ridiculous overreactors writing off the Chiefs. And I think we, we talked about it on one of the pods earlier on this week, that if you look at Andy Reid and, and Spags in uh, similar contrast to, uh, to Belichick and McDaniels, those units will get better as the season goes on. Certainly that is the case defensively with the Chiefs. Uh, and it, the sense that the Chiefs are not holding stuff back for the playoffs offensively, I mean, come on. And the Pats are nowhere near as good a roster, as strength and depth, calibre, everything else. But that principle definitely applies. This team will get better, particularly with a rookie quarterback as they roll. On Dallas's side, look, we love Dallas. We're all in on Dallas, I think. The defence much better than we expected uh, or certainly some expected it might be another one of my preseason picks but these are my two preseason hot takes uh, going going head to head oh which makes I mean, your pick even more interesting going into this yeah yeah so the line well, is at three and a half it opened at four and a half and money has been coming in on the patriots i think it's the idea that it's buy low sell high yeah when it comes to the cowboys and the alternate approach works for the pats i mean the cowboys have had three straight home wins against average opposition i think it's what the giants the eagles and the panthers who they destroyed and dispatched very much comfortably scoring a lot of points whilst doing so and i think going to foxborough is very much a different kettle of fish Right. Dallas are probably up there with what one of the best offenses in the league. Who's the other best offense? Probably the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they struggled to get things going in Foxborough. Obviously, that game had high emotions in it. So you could maybe put that as an anomaly. But I think when you look at Dallas, they've got a perfect 5-0 and against the spread this season. And I think a lot of the sharps are looking at this as a perfect example of one where Belichick's going to come out with a plan. Mm-hmm. And although it's very uncomfortable, I think, going into this thinking that you should bet on the Pats, it it isn't when you just realistically think that they're going to do what they can to control possession. It's going to be dink and dunk. Their main aim is going Mm. to be to keep Dak Prescott off the field for as long as possible. And if there's anyone that you back to do that, it probably is Mac Jones throwing for five yards per completion and then running for three yards per game per, uh, per rush. So I think that's where the argument comes into it. The over is 52. Mm, That seems high. It seems really high with all that. Considering 
the under is eight and one in the Patriots' last nine home games. And considering what we've already said about the Patriots' offense, it doesn't really make sense to me that the over-under would be at 52. But that's just because the Dallas Cowboys games this season have averaged 52 points per game. Yeah, and I guess we're looking at that. It assumes that Dallas will be, be able to get a ground game going, which they have on everybody else. But then this Pats run, the, it's pretty solid, right? So I don't think they'll neutralize it, but they can certainly... Uh, offset it compared to other teams. Just looking at the looking at the stats, both Elliot and Pollard averaging more than five a carry. I mean, incredible. Pollard's six point four on fifty one attempts. Uh, between them, they've got what? Just doing the math quickly in my head, almost eight hundred yards on the ground between them. Incredible. Yeah, stuff. no, one hundred percent. I think it's second best run offense in the league, isn't it? Second uh, or third, at least, behind the Browns and the Ravens. Yeah, yeah. There. And that, that's how, I mean, you just eye test, you'd say those three, right? So, yeah, yeah that's going to be interesting. They're not going to shut them down totally, but if they can force Dak to mix it up a bit, and then, of course, uh, Belichick will often do take out, and that's an interesting thing. Will they look at just locking down the run and force Prescott to air it out? Will they look at taking out... Uh, there isn't a standout receiver there because they're all solid right if you look at i know gallops gallops out still right but you've got amari cd lamb the tight end stepping up there isn't really it's not like oh we'll take digs out and you know so i wonder whether that's what belichick will aim to do is is really close down concentrate on the ground game plays to the the pats defensive strength anyway i know they've got jc jackson in the backfield but i yeah i think it'll be tight you'll love this salt because i've been looking at and you know how much I love meaningless, meaningless stats. I think, I think we might even have the same one here. Do you reckon? Okay, let's yeah. see. This is maybe my favorite meaningless stat of the season so far. And that's a high bar because you know I love ridiculous yeah. uh, historical data from 12 years ago yeah. with literally no players involved in the game. This weekend were involved there, but I'm still going to use that as a marker. That's That's got some bearing right on this. Okay, this is, this is a goodie. You ready? Bill Belichick is undefeated as head coach of the Patriots against the Dallas Cowboys with a 5-0 record. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what I know? Do you want to know adding on to that? Go on. Dallas hasn't beaten the Patriots in my lifetime. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the last time they beat the Patriots was in 1996. Both ridiculous, ridiculous stats. Uh the, he's undefeated head coach of the Patriots against the Dallas Cowboys when they've got a five and zero record. I know, and then four of four, four <laughs> of those six played, games, they've got a five. The Cowboys record. have only scored have scored less than ten points. Mm. Just to make it even more relevant, the idea that the Cowboys go into this game against yes, the Pats and score less offense. than ten <laughs> points to try and say that this stat yeah. kind of derives that idea that that is more likely to happen is completely completely ridiculous. It's really important what happened in two thousand and nine. I feel one of us will pick this game. All right, so where are you heading on this? It's interesting. I think immediately off the bat, it's one way you look at, and I think it's hard to bet against the Dallas Cowboys considering how great they have been offensively this season and how much they've improved defensively. I mean, they've been incredible at stopping the run, which is not a good sign for the Patriots, especially considering how bad their run game has been, but it'll be a necessity for them to establish it to kind of give Mac Jones the capabilities to potentially show them what he can do. But I do... I would probably be leaning towards the under more so than anything. I think this has got mm. a terrifying, this has got, this is one of those games where I feel like it could very well be take the Patriots with the points and the under, but it's just a horrible, horrible angle to bet on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because it makes sense because it's Belichick at home, because it's McDaniels yeah. at home, yeah. because it's this coaching team and the Patriots, you rely on them to be able to keep it close, keep the ball for a long periods of time. Yeah. And whatever they do with Dallas, I think they will try and stop and prevent big plays happening. I think that's yeah. going to be their fundamental aim. And I think that keeps this relatively tight, but I don't know whether it's tight enough to, keep it by them losing by uh, less than three points. That's my only fear. Mm. I would be, I think everyone's all in on the Dallas, all, all in on Dallas Cowboys and everyone's kind of bailed out on the New England Patriots. And what we've seen in the NFL time and time again is that that usually means what we're going to see this weekend is yeah. New England keeping it really <laughs> tight. Exactly. And everyone just scratching their heads whilst watching it being like, this is not what we were expecting. How is this? You know, yeah, Pollard fumbling. Yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Patriots eking out a 1917 win. I completely agree you've summed it up perfectly so i'm not even going to attempt to to add to that be very cautious of, of the belichick team at home the weather like, mm -hmm. let's talk weather because we haven't really talked about weather much this season it was very big on edge rush last year but uh weather of course always something to bear in mind in a 
in a venue like Foxborough looks all right. I mean, maybe a spot of rain, oh, but we're not going to have any kind of crazy winds and minus two and anything like that, which I, I think from memory from Prescott got totally out thought by Belichick a few years back in, in the same spot. That was a big part of it. Right. I think it weather played it, you know, they couldn't really get much going there. So I, uh, I big on the Cowboys as you know, but I would steer well clear of this one. All right. Uh, but the under maybe is the, is, is the play that we look at there. Pittsburgh, Seattle next a fascinating game as well, of course, because Russell Wilson out for a long time. And the, the, the Gino story for me is, could be one of, the best narratives of the season, if he can, if he can parlay this into a, a Teddy Bridgewater kind of role, right? Like as Teddy did when he spelled for Drew Brees for four or five games and landed a starting gig. I, I I think he could do that, and I know that it's easy to look at one game where he was on a roll because the moment Wilson went out of that game, he thought, "Oh my God, this is the this is the end of not just the game for the Seahawks, but the season." And even though they lost, the manner at which Gino handled the offense, rolled in, has given, I think, Seahawks fans cause for optimism. I guess the problem here is that, and we've talked about it a lot, you and I, all, and on this show as well, the problem is, much like Aaron Rodgers at the Packers, because he's such a good improviser, because he can extend plays, because he can make the magic happen that very few quarterbacks can, there is a slightly misleading perception of the capability of this Seahawks offense. In other words, and this is, I guess, when we might really see it, particularly over a long period of time, because backup quarterbacks is where we're often reminded by our friend, I am Mike, the reason they're backups is because they can come in for a couple of quarters or even a couple of games and look like the real deal. And then it all over a larger sample size unravels a little bit. And, and, and that is the fear, I guess, that he doesn't have the X factor that Russell Wilson clearly does that has been the difference for Seattle for, for so many seasons. So really, really intriguing to see how he plays in this spot because it's a decent defense he's going up against. But at the same time, I'm not entirely convinced that Pittsburgh are going to make much hay against this Seattle deep, right? Big Ben, as we talked about, isn't going deep at all. He's actually 26 in the league in terms of yards per attempt. So he's in the Matt Jones territory. He's been sacked 13 times. Sorry, 11 times, my bad. 11 times in five games. But he was sacked 13 in 15 last year, right? So uh, the line's giving him no help whatsoever. The ground game is appalling. Uh, I don't know whether this is a decent spot for Seattle because I'm guessing they're getting some points here. They are getting some points here. It opened at four and it has creeped up to five and a half with the money mm. coming in on the Steelers. The over-under has got lower, opened up at 43 and a half and is now at 42 and a half. Uh, the Seahawks are currently on pace now to have one of the worst defences in league history, giving over 400 yards per game. So that is my biggest fear to this. I was listening to um, one of the analysts from PFF talk about it, where you look at Seattle um, without Russell Wilson mm. um, and taking away their receiving core, they have nothing. <laughs> was literally yeah. the words he said. They literally have no talent whatsoever. And I think, sure, sadly... I totally agree with that. No, no, it's 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 harsh, Bobby but Wagner? I think... That, Huh? Jamal Adams? I mean, Wagner Adams? Yeah, but Jamal Adams has just had a bad season. I mean, Jamal Adams has been one of the more, I would say he's been arguably one of the more, like the jokes. If you go on Twitter on a Sunday, usually you will see a couple of plays where Jamal Adams looks stupid, but it's because of the way they're using him, apparently. Exactly. That's whatever, yeah, that's the issue. I don't think it's a knock on Jamal Adams as a player. He's incredibly talented, but I think it's the fact that they keep putting him in isn't single coverage and it's not working. Isn't this a spot where let him unleash hell on the Steelers line? Yeah, I mean, most likely. I think ultimately what you've said there probably leans towards the under, but I'm going to lean towards Steelers. I think the one thing you look at the Steelers is so far, and it's all about, you know, I love looking at the prior matchups and people overreacting without realistically looking at the oppositions that they're playing. Yeah. And I think the Steelers have actually played some pretty good defences. They played the Bills, who mm -hmm. have been incredible all season. The Bengals have got one of the best defences in the league and one of the better run defences. They played the Broncos last week and managed to put up 27 points. So you know how high we are on the Broncos. Yeah. The Raiders have actually been surprisingly one of the better defences in the league, thanks to Max X Crosby just generating so mm. much pressure. So I think the Steelers actually, there is an argument here to say that they might have quite a lot of success against Seahawks. The Seahawks have generated very little pressure. Their secondary has looked clueless at times. They're coming off a win against the 49ers two weeks ago where you would argue that the 49ers, the 49ers are the team who have in back-to-back -back weeks have beaten themselves. They mm. have 
led the game in every important category against the Cardinals and the Seahawks and still managed to lose because of penalties and stupid plays and turnovers. So I think you you can't really take that for much either. And I just think this is a terrible matchup for Geno Smith to enter into. Going to the Steelers, going to Pittsburgh away, he notoriously is not good against pressure. Mm. And what is Russell Wilson notoriously good at? playing against pressure and playing under pressure and creating those plays out of nothing. Whereas I don't think Geno Smith is capable of doing that. And I think that the Seattle offensive line is going to struggle against this Steelers D. I'm surprised this line opened at four. I, I would definitely would have taken it there. I think this is, I think there's value here to say it's a touchdown considering how low people are on the Seahawks and how poorly they're performed in a couple of spots this season. I think taking away Russell Wilson, who is by and far and away the most important player for that team. Mm. I think I am struggling to see any reason why you do take the Seahawks there. And I think you have to be a bit sick to take them because I think that would be a painful bet to watch on Sunday oh, Night Football. I mean, I, yeah, I, for sure. I've got uh, NBC are probably thrilled that this is Sunday Night Football. Although, <laughs> yeah. although uh, yeah, all really strong arguments. And I guess, uh, I guess the, the question is, the light is going to be shone on whether the Steelers offensively get going, which is what I open with. And, and you can argue, because I, I, I think this a lot with, particularly with veteran quarterbacks who have a, clearly a body of work for less significant than what Roethlisberger does, let alone what he's achieved. And he's a Hall of Fame and there's, there's no doubt about that, right? That you should be wary when there's a slump in form, you know, that that, that isn't going to continue. Going back to connecting with the point I made about backup quarterbacks, right? The same, the same thing applies the other way around when you've got a bona fide starter who's been in, in the league as long as Rottersberger has. And that's the big question, I think, about Rottersberger at the moment, which is, is he like that heavyweight boxer that has taken too many hits and he doesn't know when to quit? Has he gone? I mean, is this the moment that he has actually gone? Looking at looking at stats, and it's only part of it, right? You, numbers only take you so far. I know you are the, the king of stats, of course, Sol, and you spend 21, 22 hours a day pouring over data and graphs and numbers. But just looking at the context of, of what we're seeing, how sluggish this offense is, how mm-hmm. uh, the lacks ambition, it's one-dimensional. So PFF, the only quarterback that isn't a rookie ranked below Big Ben on PFF's quarterback grades is Jared Goff and obviously the 0-5 Lions are a mess Davis Mills is actually ranked higher than, than Ben Roethlisberger mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Football Outsiders DVOA rank him a little higher Big Ben but you know no great shakes he is having a bad season so sure. this comes down to whether you think this is a bounce back game well, Roethlisberger still got he's that boxer that's got a couple of rounds in the tank like Wilder against Fury and he whatever it was round four or five just has that knockout blow and we'll, we'll, we'll still be able to go this season throw down a few big old school big band performances and if you think this is a good spot for reasons you said the fragility of the uh, Seahawks defense and the fact that the Steelers have a good shot of getting in front and building a lead early here, which means that the Seahawks will, because the defense, you know, we think will get, uh, will get to Gino, which means he might have to go to the air game and, and, and move away from their ground game. Yeah. Then I think it's probably a good spot, but I am just not sure. I'm not sure if Ben has got anything left in the tank. So yeah, I'm staying well away from it. Uh, yeah, good from you. So you're saying well away from the two games you decided to to, to hone in on. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to come good with my lock of the week. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. And my anchor of the week. Um, uh, yeah, and the other thing, just to note though, you said that the ground game's been terrible, but last week they changed their running offense completely. They changed the way they did it, and Najee Harris actually went for 122 yards. He's a 22 beast, yeah. carries for a it was over. I was overstating to say it's been terrible with him, and of course, yeah, no. And I think the reason why they got Najee Harris was because they knew they didn't have a great run blocking line. Yeah, and that I was think 120, really, 20, whatever on how many carries? <laughs> no, it was still you're still averaging five and a half a right, carry, fair. so All it's right. not too bad. It's not too bad. I retract think, the statement that yeah, not and realistically, the reason why they got Najee Harris is because of how great he is after contact I think that's one of the reasons he's one of those kind of bulldozing running backs who can take a couple of hits and still 
get yards. And I think they'll be able to do that against the Seahawks defense. I mean, he was, I mean, Roethlisberger threw for 253 yards, two touchdowns, no picks against this Broncos defense. And this Broncos defense realistically is significantly better than the Seahawks defense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'd like to point out again, that is a stellar AFC North, AFC West matchup, which the AFC North came out to, on top of. So uh, I know I lost the poll, but oh, realistically, yes, think, of course, the poll from, sorry, I thought you were about to claim victory. Yeah, the poll from last week, or what were the final numbers? On I the think poll? you, I think the AFC West was 73 and 27% was the AFC North, which I think uh, after seeing the performance from the Raiders, the Broncos and the Chiefs last week yeah. uh, compared to the Ravens. <laughs> we go. Well, now, Leslie, I don't think it's fair to say with the Raiders, the hell's going on there. <laughs> the Broncos are, will be uh, fine. They'll be, they've had issues obviously with, with Teddy, uh, but he's back. They'll be okay. They lost uh, to the worst team in the AFC North now. Come on. What you're going to tell me, I guess, Ol, is that 73, 74% of the poll is like the mug punters and all the tickets are on you. <laughs> AFC West. Yes, like me. And all the money's on. This is where the sharps are going on the north. That's what you're going to tell me. Uh, yeah, right, what, 100%. Do you like, you seem to really like the Steelers in this spot. So you're, you're taking them. I'm taking the Steelers here. I'm taking the Steelers. Okay. We'd probably be tempted towards the under because I just don't see where team score points here but at the same yeah. time like I think I'm more keen on the line for the Steelers as long as it stays at around five five and a half mm. um, the money's still coming in on the Steelers like I just think that it would it takes a very brave man yeah. to back the Seahawks in this situation I think <laughs> just purely because of the fact that we don't really know what Geno Smith's going to be able to do over a full game and against an elite defense especially a Mike Tomlin at home defense mm. and I know you could argue that people are now sort of higher on the Steelers than they should be. But at the same time, just from a pure matchup perspective, Geno Smith was successful against the Rams last week when he led that touchdown scoring drive. But that was because the Rams had a big lead. So they were kind of allowing short yard gains. They weren't taking pressure. They just didn't want the big play to kind of bring them back into the game. Fair. As soon as the Rams started bringing pressure on that on Geno Smith, he was poor, ended up throwing the interception, which ultimately closed the game out for the Rams. So I see the Steelers looking at this. I see TJ Watt licking his lips. And as long as injuries, I mean, I think Cameron Hayward is questionable and a couple of other key pieces on that Steelers defense, as long mm. as they are healthy going into this game, it's a tough, tough, tough narrative to back the Seahawks here. The, the narrative is the Geno redemption story. Yeah. And, and obviously might... if that happens, then I hold my hands up. But at the same time, <laughs> like right now, I'm just going off the, what I've seen so far this season and what I, I've seen. I, seeing as I have, you're absolutely right, have been uh, pretty vanilla to stay away from the first two games. I will try and redeem myself, let alone Geno's redemption story. Oh, you know very well because we work so closely together. There have been a couple of picks this season I've made that have been... Um, ambitious <laughs> to say the least um and uh, I, i've been a little bit hit and miss with them so I, I picked the giants a few weeks back of course which um which which went my way last week i picked the lions and after we'd finished the the broadcast from tottenham for talk sport and will gavin had hotfooted back to the talk sport towers about an hour before the end of the game so he could host the the red zone show the show that, that we uh, normally do together and uh, on the way back, as I was walking away from the stadium after we'd come off air on, on TalkSport and, of course, not a chance in hell of, of, of getting a cab uh, or getting on the tube. So I thought, well, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk for a while and plugged in Red Zone on my phone. So I was listening to the comms and then bing, my phone pinged sort of 15 minutes happily sort of walking through walking through the fans and it's Will Gavin saying that you're where are your picks for the week you forgot to gate give us your picks for the week and of course we have a head-to-head -head pick battle me versus Will versus team guest on the show uh, and the only thing we care about I care about is beating Will don't care that's because you always lose to the guest but yeah yeah uh, keep, keep well, saying maybe, that yeah maybe maybe anyway. um and so I sent him my scorker column because I'm writing for scorker this season of course and uh, I wrote shameless about Urban plug. yeah shameless plug wrote about Urban Meyer um this week and also my predictions, right? And I, one of my predictions last week anyway, on my scorecard column and therefore set to Will was Detroit. I picked Detroit last week. Much to the, uh, much to the surprise of Will, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think it's fair to say. And I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were some interesting comments made about my pick for Detroit. How? Close was that pick to coming off. Did you cry as much as Dan Campbell oh, did my, in his post-match press conference? Did you see Jared Goff's face? I know. That was, that was what I was doing, a mirror image of that at home back in North London. So so I, I'll, I'll take a few gamble picks this season. <laughs> and is this going to be one of them? Where Are you leading towards something in, here? In the aforementioned Scorker column, and you're not, not only are you not a Wire fan, and I'm guessing in the last week since we recorded Edge Rush, you still haven't started the Wire, right? No. 
I just finished Squid Game, so I'm I'm on that right I can't now. Believe I can't believe you. Have you have you not watched Squid Games? You've watched you've watched that ahead of the wire, despite everything. Yeah, but how long is the wire? Like, how many series are there? <laughs> Five. And how many episodes in a series? Mm, that's a good question. I think it's a, is it a twelve? I think it's like more like twelve, fourteen, as opposed to. God, I should remember that's supposed to like, some of like West Wing and stuff are like 2021, but I think it's close to like, it's about 60, 70, I guess. Okay, fine. I mean, realistically, that's a big commitment, which people in my generation don't like to, don't like <laughs> to do very easily. It's unbelievable. I, I like a nine episode, one series done and dusted. Well, the, each series is self-contained and there are, there are continuous threads that run through like characters that are in each series, but each series is essentially a new storyline. I will try and watch it before the end of the season, but Succession's coming out next week and I love Succession with a passion. It's one of my favourite series of all time. So, Oh, Succession's incredible. So amazing. Absolutely brilliant. So I will likely not be able to watch The Wire as Succession season three comes out next week. Six, oh, I cannot. I didn't know it was that soon. Succession's coming out. But the trouble is, is that's coming out to be released every week, right? I need to... Oh, that's a good point. That's another thing my generation don't like, waiting a week to watch My generation episode. doesn't like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. I learned of that generation that can't possibly have to wait a week for another episode. So anyway, uh, back to back to this. So on the... I was going to say, you're not a Wire fan and you're not a Star Wars fan, if I remember right. No. Yeah? You said, you've said that before. You're not a Star Wars fan. So you'll, this will mean nothing to you, but to a number of our listeners out there, uh, where actually you reminded me of a good story I want to tell you about uh, the new Bond film in a minute as well. Uh, the uh, would mean nothing to you this reference, but to Star Wars fans out there, I think they will they will probably get it. So talking about this game and uh, referencing what we were just saying about Ben Roethlisberger, I describe Ben Roethlisberger as follows. I described him as doing his best impression of a Rebel Alliance team putting Chewbacca at quarterback. So mean nothing to you. It's taking me back to stand-up days when I would drop a line and get the kind of response I'm getting from you now, propo. But out there, our listeners will know what I'm talking about. If he takes you back, hand him a ball, put him at quarterback, that is what I feel we're seeing at the moment from the Steelers offense. So I picked the Seahawks in my scorecard predictions did you <laughs> yes i did and it's there wow. in writing to prove that i'm not just making this up and trying to be bold there you go wow. so wow do you actually pick the, i thought wow okay impressive I, let's see how that goes for you let's see how that goes for you i think that's yeah, you gotta roll the dice sometimes right now you do have to roll the dice sometimes right. so Speaking i've been which next one yeah so i've been ambivalent in the first two but this is uh not only a game i feel strongly about i feel so strongly about it it's my drew lock of the week Really? Yeah. I honestly I, don't know which way you're going here. I think this is quite tough. Okay. So a lot of matchups favor Washington here, right? So this, yeah. sorry, we should be clear. We're doing Washington, Kansas City as, yeah. as our third game. A lot of matchups favor Washington. So let's take Taylor Heineke, for example. We love Taylor Heineke. I right? love Taylor He's Heineke. Punching above his weight. And, uh, and what I mean by that is the expectation levels for him were non-existent and he is already surpassing. He was a backup uh, quarterback in the XFL. The XFL when we started this yeah, year. Yeah, for the St. Louis Blackhawks. We probably chatted to uh, about him as an XFL player on this show, didn't we? No, we wouldn't have because he was a backup. He was a backup. Yeah, yeah, he was a backup. So one of the better quarterbacks in the XFL for that matter, but still, mm. he was sleeping on his sister's uh, sofa. Wow. Love Taylor Heineke. Yeah. And he is balling, quite frankly. He is, of course, one of the new generation current generation prototypical dual threat quarterbacks. So ranking fourth in the NFL in scramble yards. No team all has allowed more raw quarterback rushing yards than the Chiefs, 236. Ooh, that favors Taylor Heineke, right? Through five weeks, Kansas City have allowed the most receiving yards to tight ends. Kansas City's defense, as we know, you can run on them can run on this Chiefs defense. So many aspects of this lean towards Washington, but, 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 but. Oh, actually, I haven't even added the, the big one. They rarely cover the spread, you're going to tell me. The Sharks, I'm sure, are all over Washington. Kansas City, don't cover the spread. I get it, I get it, I get it. This is going to be, in my mind, a statement game. And I don't use that term lightly because it gets misappropriated and chucked around. It's a statement. Game. I think Andy Reid is going to dial up all kinds of stuff. I've been doing a little bit of deep diving on this because I wanted to get my head around what Carlson and Ollie Connolly 
were saying about the Chiefs offensive line mm. and disagreeing. Ollie Connolly was saying the Chiefs offensive line is bang on point. Carlson has been down on the Chiefs offensive line. And they are two great football minds and they disagree. So I wanted to look at it in a bit more detail. So I went back and watched extended highlights of the last three Chiefs games. And then I'd be looking at the numbers a bit more. PFF have the Chiefs ranked eighth, pretty decent. And they make some really good points in their grading, this week's grading anyway. All five of their starters have played all 348 snaps this season. There's continuity in this line that is not apparent in many other places. It's off, the offensive line is often the place where there is a, a, a lot of change. So when you focus on the fact that this line was brand new, I mean, significantly different from year on year, all brought together for the first time, that bodes well that it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. The weak link, I guess, is Niang, who's allowed 20 pressures through five games, which is the second most or tied for second most by any right tackle. And we all know who he's up against in this. So that is a slight fear and a slight counter to the argument that, I, that I'm with Ollie, leaning more towards Ollie, that I think this line is, is holding up pretty well. You can also, of course, look at the caliber of opposition that Kansas City have had, which I think is a big, big part of this situation right now, this ridiculous Kansas City had done narrative. I feel that Washington being 27th in total defense, allowing over 400 yards a game, 28th in pass D, they gave up against the Saints, against Jameis, a 72-yarder. And there was the Hail Mary as well. It's a Hail Mary, so asterisks there. They give up big plays. <laughs> wow. I like the Chiefs. The Chiefs are six and a half, right? So if it stays under a touchdown, minus six and a half. Is that right? Or you, you, Yeah, no, there's a seven some places, but I'm mm. sure you could find it at six and a half somewhere. So I, uh, well, okay. Significant numbers. We always talk about the importance of numbers. Yeah. I, I'm taking it as my Drew Lock of the week if you can get it at six and a half. Okay, I like fine. I like the Chiefs to lay down a can everybody sh- <laughs> shut up for a minute and remember we're the AFC champs. I don't feel Washington are going to be able to keep up with them. I just don't. I mean that is one hell of a compelling argument there. I love the research you put into it. Hey, I love how much you care. Yeah. I love how much you care about it. It seems like yeah. you're really passionate about this pick. You're going to shoot, which is down. which is um, no, no. It, I think realistically, you're never. No one's ever going to disagree with you when it comes to betting against the or betting on the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. The one critical point for me Mm. in this game and for the Kansas City Chiefs is turnovers. Mm. Patrick Mahomes was throwing six interceptions this season. He threw six interceptions for the whole of last season. The Chiefs have committed 11 turnovers in five games. The only other team to do that many are the Jags. This is exactly, I would argue... Another reason. Yeah, that's what I was kind of going to say. It's not going to level. Oh, hey, sorry. I don't want to take your thunder away. No, no. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. So this is what I find fascinating about the Kansas City Chiefs and people kind of doubting them is, honestly, if you look at their results, okay, with the exception of the Buffalo Bills, who, let's be honest, gave them a bit of a schlacking, as you would say. If you look at their results and you look at their losses, the Chargers, they lost by a score. The Ravens, they lost by a point. When you eradicate those turnovers you are giving the Chiefs, they commit 11 turnovers. I honestly think you might as well add about, what, 70 points almost to the Chiefs and what they've done this season because they will score if they don't turn the ball over. A lot of those turnovers have come in the opposition's territory and they have been mistakes that Patrick Mahomes has made. And he's come out and he's admitted that he has made very uncharacteristic mistakes. And it just is a case now of, picking the week where they do eradicate it. And you might be smart here. You might be sharp and you might be picking the week where they suddenly change everything and you cha- they change the way they're playing and they adjust to what clearly teams are doing to them, which is what this cover two defense, which yeah. has made everything a lot more difficult for Patrick Mahomes and has caused the issues that we have seen this season. And it is just a matter of time before Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes find a way as they have done throughout their tenure together to overcome this and to comfortably beat this. And I think... This is, that is a great point. I just, I just want to jump yeah. in on that. We made a number of great points, but that, that last one in particular, which we touched upon at the very top, didn't we? And this is where I, I still don't feel Andy Reid, despite everything he's achieved, gets enough credit. If you look at the 
chronology of Andy Reid's offensive philosophy. And, you, you know, you tra- track it back from Vic, McNabb. And we, we've talked about this many times on this show. It's been talked about many times, of course, the, the, the perfect storm of a player with Mahomes' attributes landing in Kansas City at this time when the offense had already been moved to a, a degree by Alex Smith. And then you have the patronage and the professionalism of Smith and yada, yada, yada. But he's enabled Reed to do things, and not just Mahomes, by the way, but the cast of characters that he's assembled there to, to take it further forward. And he is constantly looking at all levels of the game at developing, fine-tuning, make improving all the time. And Belichick, rightly so, gets the same plaudits on the other side of the ball for his defensive genius. And we talked about it just now. Ooh, if Dallas versus almost any other team right now, I don't think we'd be having this. Is it going to be close? With Dallas are balling right now. And yet, because it's Belichick, it's Foxborough, he gets that credit. I don't think Andy Reid gets the, gets the, the, the same to the same degree. And I, and I feel he should offensively. That point you make about underneath and the fact that if you take away the deep threat for the Chiefs, well, that's they, we've worked them out. And, and of course, there's, there's a credibility in that. Uh, but I don't think it's as, it's as simple as that either, because I think people have worked that out about this Andy Reid iteration of the Chiefs for a while. And yet they have successfully overcome that historically. And whether that shortcomings of certain players that you need to turn up and deliver, if that deep thread is gone, probably, and we, we've discussed that, that the supporting cast of characters hasn't stepped up maybe as they need to, but it's also about Reed looking at it and thinking, okay, well, all right, you're matching me there. Now I'm going to roll the dice and try, and, and try this. And if you don't feel that Andy Reed has it, given his body of work over the last 30 years, to be able to do that with the pieces that he's got and a quarterback like Mahomes and a line that we've just said is getting better and better every week, then frankly, I'm not sure you know football. This idea that the Chiefs had done, I've seen it so much this week, read, heard it so much. That's crazy. Carlson would say the mouth clowns, in effect, just calm down. Now, this, this, this passionate <laughs> Chiefs defense could come back to haunt me because we all know how dangerous this front seven is. And if we're talking about... Um, overreacting to situations. Yeah. I think we've heard that with, with this Washington front, they haven't 100%. suddenly got bad, you know, there's no, they're definitely not, uh, not where the numbers suggest. And w- w- if they have a field day against Kansas city on Sunday, would it surprise me? Probably no. not. That's what we love about this game, right? That yeah. we could see both of them going, but I feel because of the situation that they're in right now, they will have heard everything going on they understand where they're at in terms of the West, in terms of the overall AFC playoff picture. They can't fall back another game. Uh, There is too much on the line. And I know the Chiefs often are backed heavily. So covering the spread is a bit of a reach, but this week I'm all in on them. That is completely fair enough. I think there's, I mean, honestly, I don't see any way they lose this game. I really don't. I think that, they have to win it. And I think notoriously when you watch games where the Chiefs have to win, which I don't think they've actually been in that spot that frequently with Mahomes at quarterback, I think they usually will pull it out the bag. Obviously, the defense is a major, major issue. Like that we can't deny that. Every week I've kind of expect them to improve. They allow opponents to convert on 56% of third down attempts. They have they sit dead last same as, in the league. Same as Washington, by the way. Yeah, I know. Well, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, the Chiefs defense currently sits dead last in the league, allowing 32 points per game. Who's second? Yeah, Washington right, allowing right. 31 points per game. Yeah. It is crazy. But then the football team, as you said, like I expect in the same way that the Chiefs will trend up. I also think the Washington defense will trend upwards. Yeah. The only reason their front, their front seven hasn't really been working in sync is because it seems that they aren't, all clicking at the same time. Mm. So in recent weeks, we've seen Chase Young putting a big performance last week, getting a strip sack and Darren Payne getting a sack last week against the mm. Saints. Whereas earlier in the year, Montez Sweat was playing better and Jonathan Allen was playing better, but they've both been on the downwards trend in the past recent game. So they just need to all work together in sync at one point and then they will be an elite threat mm-hmm. once again. And I guess they're just waiting for that all to click at the same time. Their secondary is an issue, but both teams are quite banged up, which makes this game even more interesting. I mean, right. the Washington literally only have Terry McLaurin to throw to. Logan Thomas yeah. is on IR. Curtis yeah. Samuel came back two weeks ago and already left the field and didn't return last week. Their uh, rookie wide receiver is unavailable for this game as well. So 
realistically, Taylor Heineke is going to have to very much rely on Scary Terry, which is a good person to rely uh, on. He is one of the best receivers hold, in the league. He huh? is, but and his defense to hold it close because if he's chasing a ten point, fourteen point lead, he, he's going to have to have to air out. And he does. He say he doesn't have you know the cast of characters around him. So yeah, uh, Joe uh, Thune is potentially out for this game for the Chiefs, and so mm. might be Tyreek Hill, which does make quite a big difference as well. So I think this is definitely one to keep on the keep an eye on the injury report, especially because the over net. Omen at 54, it's up to 56 and a half. Two worst defences in the league. Everyone loves Taylor Heineke. Everyone loves Patrick Mahomes. Everyone's flooding in on the over. But I think this could be one of those spots where you see, because of the injuries that are plaguing these teams, we might actually see slightly lower scoring because that requires a lot of points. Let's be honest, that requires a lot of points. But it's going to be an interesting game nonetheless. I'm not sure I'm as high as you are on the Chiefs. I would probably be closer to playing that two and a half spread or that two and a half tees just purely because I don't know, like the chiefs could be up 14. They could be up 21 in the third quarter with ease. And I just don't back this defense when they have tended to, and why they have such a terrible record against the spread chiefs is fall asleep at certain points, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And that could easily lead to Taylor Heineke having an opportunity to potentially tie up the game or bring it, bring it within a score going into the last quarter and then Mahomes kind of closing it out. So that is my only fear when it comes to this point. But at the same time, I'm with you. I think that what we've seen from the chiefs aren't going to continue to turn the ball over as much as they are now. That's just Mm. not going to happen. It's just whether they, they will go through a transition to try and adjust this offense to uh, accommodate that. And Mm. it's just whether that transition has found its sort of end point yet. They might still have some teething problems with whatever adjustments they have to make to counter all of these teams finding the chiefs out. Like you've seen all of those things. It's exactly like the, um, it's, it feels very similar to the season post Lamar Jackson's MVP year when everyone starts going, Oh, the league's found out Lamar Jackson. It's over now. Mm. it's like do you know what I mean like that's Mm. not the way the world works you don't just suddenly obviously when someone is that much of a threat and it's someone is that successful teams are going to spend a lot of time trying to work out how to counteract that that is just the way life works that's the way the world works you're going to do that but then that doesn't mean I don't see why everyone then suddenly buys out and says oh that means Jackson's done or Mahomes is done do you not think they're going to do the exact opposite and spot what teams are doing to them and say well now we need to find a way to overcome that and when you've got a great coach like John Harbour and someone as committed as Lamar Jackson they're going to be able to do that and they have done that this season in the exact same way that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes yeah hell yeah I'm going to back those Mm. two yeah, yeah, brilliantly said. Um, just to get the injury report, they did he start on IR and Reed's Andy Reed. This is we're recording this on Thursday, right? And Reed said, uh, presumably Wednesday after practice, that he's not on IR. Went through the walkthrough. He, we have a chance to be okay. Hill's got a quad contusion. I know you've had plenty of those up. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Neither do I. But this is so great. Uh, no, I think that I, I, I think they expect Hill to play. Jones might be back as well, which would be interesting. But yeah, but Thune broken hand. I mean, these linemen just just tape it up. <laughs> He'll be fine. Uh, right. So that was our my Drew Lock of the week. What's yours? My Drew Lock of the week. Nat is. <sighs> What is my name again? Like the under king of Plumpton or whatever it's the called. Under king, the unders king of Plumpton. The unders king of Plumpton. I am going there on under 47 and a half in the Bengals-Lions game. Under, wow. Under, yeah. I'm going on the under in that game. Do you know what my reason is? Is Tell because me. there's two things. I think, first of all, people look too much at Burrow and Chase's success mm-hmm. with the Bengals and suddenly think that with this high-flying offense and that's the kind of way we go about it, when in reality... Zach Taylor's play call means we don't score a lot of points because he is so conservative and realistically not very good at play calling offensively. I'm going to put that one out there. I'm not a massive fan of the way he does it. I think there's you ways to like running Zach on. Taylor, have you? you just... No, I really don't rate it. I do think he's holding this team back. What he is, is someone that the team loves. He's clearly a great man manager. And I'm not saying when you've had a team with a losing culture like the Bengals, I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing. Yeah. Everyone loves him. Everyone buys into what he says. He's clearly... Joe Burrow respects him and listens to him. But at the end of the day, two of our biggest wins this season, or the two times the Bengals have won in close games, is because Joe Burrow has basically called his own play and changed at the line of scrimmage what they're going to do and even winking at CJ Uzumar as he does it. So like, I realistically don't necessarily think that we are as a high-flying offense as everyone thinks just because we can throw the deep ball to chase once a game and it works, Mm. which again is down to Burrow and chase and not Zach Taylor. But what we are is a very good defensive team. 
I think defensively we're much better. We really shut down the run well. I don't think as much as Devontae Adams absolutely killed us last week, the Lions do not have anyone even close to Devontae Adams on this team. So I don't see them being able to get the offense rolling. I saw quite a funny quote from Dan Campbell this week, which was... Um, yeah, Jared Goff's been making a lot of mistakes. I think we need to simplify this offense. And I just like the way that Dan Campbell oh, went into this year thinking, yeah, what I saw from Jared Goff last two seasons of the Rams, <laughs> we could really get a complex offense rolling with this guy. It's like he's only taken him to week six to realize, okay, we need to simplify this down and make it as easy as possible. Jared for Goff him. should have seven plays in his playbook. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Jared Goff, at least I, I like the fact the Lions are, are balling, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I a very compelling argument. I'm surprised that the, what did you say it was? 46 47 and a half. And a half. I mean, seven and a half. Yeah. And I just think that, so realistically what they're going to try and do the lines is dink and dunk. I think they're going to try mm. and chew play clock. And I think that the last four Bengals games have gone under. And I think everyone views this team as an over team because yeah. of how much hype there is around this. Highlight reel, 47 yeah, the highlight reel, exactly. It. And then the last three Lions games, they have gone under. You look at the game, I think this might be quite similar to the Ravens-Lions game where they keep mm. it quite tight. The Lions, yeah. they have a lot of fight, they have a lot of character. Hawkinson might be out as well, right? Yeah, Hawkinson might be out. And I just think that they, they're they not going to, they know Dan Campbell is a good coach. I think everyone is buying into Dan Campbell because of what he's being able to do with this lack of talent. And what they do definitely have is character. And I think the one thing about character is it's much easier to keep a team from sort of blowing you up if you've got the character and I don't see there being any way that the Lions keep this like go into a shootout and keep this close I think the Lions keep this keep this close by shutting down the Bengals or at least not allowing them to score as freely as they did say the 49ers in week one that last 10 seconds we're going to clip up and play on next week's show as this is 38-35. <laughs> there is no chance that Jared Goff scores 35 I really, points. I really hope it. There is no chance. I can't that, see it happening. Just for that last 10 seconds. And then you could play it back to back as the Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My is sacked again. Yeah. <laughs> this line is crumbling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, realistically, we're four and one with our with our yeah. lock snack like with our Drew Locks I think Four that is one, yeah. that's a pretty good record in the grand scheme of things especially from a sharp perspective you see a lot of sharps not going 4-1 and one. yeah I'm I'm very happy with that my 65% is my um, is my uh, just straight up hit rate 65 alright is that respectable I think that's respectable yeah. yeah I think that's decent I'm not really right. sure what the, what the money line sort of average is I think that's super, decent supercomputer we need to check because that's yeah right. we do but Carlson said he hasn't been doing as well this year, has he? Carlson said he's been struggling. We haven't heard much from Carlson on it, so that's so why. Means, yeah, yeah, so it means he's not doing very well. But no, I think the under hits in this game, I just can't see it be, there being a lot of points. The only issue that I can see happening is, obviously, if the game starts getting silly and there's loads of turnovers, but I just realistically think that 47 and a half, the market hasn't adjusted to the fact that the Bengals actually are an under team. Love it. All right, let's get your prop bets of the week up. Yeah, so my prop bets of the week, obviously I'm on a run, so there's quite a lot of pressure here to maintain that, but I've found a couple of spots that I like. Uh, my first one is someone that I have actually notoriously always backed, usually at least once a season, and that's Noah Fant to have over 43 and a half receiving yards. I think this is going to be an interesting game. Realistically, Broncos Raiders, Raiders in the world of post-John Gruden, but even when they had Gruden, they couldn't stop tight ends. Gesicki for the Dolphins, 86 yards. Jared Cook for the Chargers, 70 yards. Even Pat Fryermuth for the Steelers and the much maligned Pittsburgh Steelers offense that you have torn apart. <laughs> oh, if this I'd show. known about Pat Fryermuth, I would yeah. have changed my <laughs> the mind. The rookie, Pat Fryermuth, even he went for nearly 40 yards. So I think Noah Fan goes for over 43 and a half receiving yards. He was quiet last week against the Steelers, but they have an elite line back and core, whereas the Raiders do not. That is one of their weaker spots. So especially considering what's happened off the field this week, Week, I expect Noah Fant to be one of the guys that Teddy goes to and he has over 43 and a half receiving yards. The second one, this is always, this is another one where you always have to shut your eyes and just hope for the best okay. because it's not going to be, this could not be pretty, but maybe we need to ride this Davis Mills train now. Like it. Yeah, I think we need to ride this Davis Mills train and I think the one aspect where they will have success against the Colts is we've seen that Davis Mills can throw the ball. The Colts defense is one of the worst against the pass. And they are likely not to have Xavier Rhodes or Andrew Sendejo. And Sendejo? Sendejo? No, you got it right first time. Sendejo, yeah. okay, thank you. Yeah, Sendejo. In week six, they're both concussed. The Colts just, they will shut down the run, but they can't stop the pass. And realistically, who is the only real receiving threat that Davis Mills has? 
Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks. Yeah, Brandon Cooks. And he, the former Ram, the former Patriot, he usually has success when he gets a lot of space and when he can go against a poor passing D. So I expect Brandon Cooks to have over 61 and a half yards. <laughs> big Brandon Cooks fan. Yeah, I'm a big Brandon <laughs> Cooks fan. space and he goes against a bad, a bad passing D. So... I'm just saying, it's, if I was Brandon Cooks listening to this, which he might be, yeah, he might be an edge rush, edge rush listener, wouldn't have filled him with confidence ahead of this game. <laughs> well, I'm trying to <laughs> fill him with confidence because I'm backing Brandon Cooks. Oh, you're backing Cooks for, okay. Well, because I see, so uh, this is a good matchup for him. Okay, This I is like a that. very good matchup for him. And I think this is a good matchup for Davis Mills. I think Brandon Cooks and Davis Mills have a bit of a party against the Colts. That's what mm. I'm trying to say to you. So and I think going- Brandon Cooks has over 61 and a half yards. The Davis Mills train. Davis is going to the buffet car. He's stack. He's getting getting six six bottles of the good stuff and bringing it back for. And him and Cooks are having having a knees up all the way back to Houston. All right, I love it. Uh, is there one more? You got three. There is one more, slightly nice. more mainstream. This is a mainstream pick now. I'm just just going to put it out there. Cooper Cup over eighty one and a half yards. I think everyone kind of looks at Cooper Cup now as one of those receivers. He's almost like a Devontae Adams or like a Stefan Diggs, where people like last week said, "Oh, Cup didn't actually have that big of a game." He saw 10 targets, reeled in seven of them for 92 yards. Right. And realistically, this giant secondary, I know obviously they struggled last week with their whole offensive unit being injured, <laughs> but they were allowing on defensive side of the ball 20 yards per reception to Lamb and Cooper. And this is another one where, because Robert Woods was the one who went off last week against the Seahawks, I always think the Giants D is going to have to adjust to that, which should allow more space and even more sort of, possibilities to Cooper Cup. So if Cooper Cup on a bad day is going over 92 yards, I expect mm-hmm. him to go over 81 yards with ease against this Giants D this weekend. Love it. Love that. The propos, prop bets rolling on. Uh, you were three out of three last week? Yeah, three out of three last week, which means, yeah, it's going to be, it'll be tough. But if I can go again, it would just be, it'll be huge. So get on those. Right. Uh, just time for uh, my acker. Here we go. <laughs> uh, okay. So first up uh, of the three, remember that our acker's straight up. So forget the spread, you're just taking them to win. Uh, I'm taking, uh, <laughs> now I've got worried after how you paid, painted the game earlier on. Although I think, I do believe you said you think they'll win, it's maybe not cover. So I'm taking Dallas to win in in New England, but I'm not altogether confident about that pick now. But straight up, I wasn't keen on them against the line for reasons Ollie uh, very articulately outlined. And this uh, Patriots D will keep it tight, I think. But I like the Cowboys to... Uh, to take it, nevertheless, straight up. Next up, going to Monday Night Football. Buffalo against Tennessee. Bills all the way. The strongest team in football right now. Again, I don't want to go near the spread on that, but Buffalo straight up for the win. And then the final one, again, we talked about on our Week 6 preview show with Ben Isaacs. Also, College Day's out with Ben right now. Go check that out in the vault. Ben's looking at, uh, well, mainly cornerbacks and one safety that uh, he thinks all will go in the first round of the 2022 draft. Some really good stuff uh, there from Ben. We also... Uh, remember last week we were looking at a CD Lamb sitcom. Uh, this week, all we were looking at an eighties movie reboot star starring Urban Meyer. So I think it's worth uh, going to go and check that out. I don't want to give any more away than that, but it's a goodie. Um, we talked about this game anyway because Ben, being a Bears fan, uh, it's quite big on the Bears, and we figured they might be a sneaky, sneaky inside rail playoff team, the Chicago Bears, for all kinds of reasons. They're getting a lot of pass rush only uh, without having to blitz. So. Uh, getting that, I think they lead the lead in sacks, but they're not needing to blitz so much. So they are able to hold back against a team like Green Bay. Uh, and I think that bodes well. Ground game, despite Montgomery out, has been pretty impressive. And Fields is getting better week on week. Matt Nagy's handed over play calling, which uh, which is an altogether good thing. So like the Bears, but not in this spot. I think Green Bay, if we're talking about inside rail, I was thinking earlier, oh, all this talk of... Oh, who's your MVP right now? Is it Kyler Murray? Is it Justin Herbert? No one's talking about Brady's MVP. No yeah, they are. About his are favorite. They? Yeah, I think he's favorite. Is he favorite? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm not hearing it. In terms of in terms of shows I tune into, stuff I'm reading is a lot of buzz about Kyler. There's a lot of buzz about Herbert. No one's talking Brady, and very few are talking. No, Rogers. so it goes. Allen is the favorite. Murray Allen, second another, favorite. Prescott, exactly, Herbert, yeah. and then Brady. There you go. Thank you very much. I, but I still think people are talking about Tom Brady. There's Rogers on that list. Rogers is the one after. Uh, then it goes Stafford. So it goes Allen's favorite. Murray second. Prescott yeah. third. Herbert fourth. Brady yeah. fifth. Stafford sixth. Rogers seventh. Jackson at eighth is quite low for me. That is low as well. What is what are the odds on Rogers? Rogers is twelve to one. Twelve to one. And Brady, what ten or something? Uh, seven. 
seven as a jump. Okay, same argument. I and maybe this is the problem that they're not a sexy pick. And Brady, as we know, famously has n- not won the MVP maybe as much as he should have done in the, in the regular season. Rogers, the reigning MVP, so it's very hard to to land them back to back unless he does something extraordinary. But uh, I think the Packers are looking the real deal. Four and one. I think they're going to five and one. They're my third of the three. And it's about 2.2, 2.3 to one, I think. Yeah. You'll find it obviously depends where you, where you lay it. But um, that's kind of what I, uh, what I think you'll get for it. So yeah, brilliant stuff. Listen, we are back Monday. Of course, the show's back Monday with our mic for our week six uh, review. And as I mentioned earlier on in the show, we've got some great episodes already this week getting a set for the weekend. So go and check out Iron Mike's review on Monday. Uh, ben doubling down, Ben Isaacs with uh, the preview show and also his college day show, which is terrific. And there is more where that came from. A talk of Marek Larwood on the show next week. Comedian Marek Larwood. I hope we can get that and make yeah, that Yeah, I'll, I'll sort that. I'll be able to sort uh, that. And hopefully we'll have the Flores interview as well. So I'm doing the game for the BBC, obviously, and I'm doing that interview for them. So I'm going to have a chat with my producer. And once that's been broadcast, I'm sure we can we can uh, sneak that one out on the pod so that might be dropping at some point next week as well so keep uh keep focused on it and uh if you haven't already subscribed to the show whichever podcast you listen to us on and uh, you'll get it dropped into your inbox easy peasy without having uh, to search for it and download it at the nc show is our social channels incidentally and shout out to andy and the crew for keeping the fires burning there propo i will see you on sunday at spurs I will see you at Sunday on Spurs. Very exciting. Look after yourself. Uh, see you, all you listeners out there who are going to the game. Come and say hi. We like that. Uh, mm-hmm. If you see us, uh, Propo, uh, you were ch- actually chastised for not watching The Wire, I believe, last time. I was. I was. Yeah, yeah. You which see is Propo, de- shout out to him about The Wire and te- just corner him and make sure that he promises he's going to start watching it. There you yeah, because I'm not going to listen to you, but I might listen to one of the listeners. Quite right. Quite yeah. right. Uh, look after yourself. We'll see you Sunday. Bye for now. Podcast Network.